right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Millennial Teacher Podcast. My name is Shakira Langley. And again, we are back talking all things education through the eyes of young millennial teachers. And I'm so excited to have my very close friend, my sister girl, Miss Ebony Thomas. And to give you guys a little bit of background information, we started this teacher journey together um, from the slumps of residency programs to a master's degree, to um, you was the first one who heard me say, I want to do a podcast like Elevating Teacher Voices. And here we are doing it. And now you're pursuing another field of education. So we literally started together and we are continuing together. So it's just a blessing to be here in this space and to see um, this come to life. And then from us being at the bottom, crying or not sleeping, so flourishing in education. So I'm happy to have you. I gave you a little bit of rundown, but go ahead and introduce yourself and all things related to education. Yes. Hi, I'm Ebony Thomas. Um, first, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast. I do remember when you first said you were starting this. So to see it all come to like fruition is so crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm Ebony. Um, I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia, but I've been here in the district for the past eight years. Um, and I started my teaching journey here as a resident. We were in the same program. Um, and then we also went on to the same school the year after. We were together for like, what, three or four years? Mm -hmm. um, and so I've kind of been navigating the world of charter, the charter world the last uh, few years. But this recently I went into the public like school setting. So that's where I am now, just teaching second grade. Um, which is totally new, a new journey. Um, but I'm also a graduate student at American University here in Washington, D.C., where I'm studying um, to get a degree in special education and learning disability so that I can yes. help be a better advocate for more kids and families, not just in the district, but just everywhere worldwide. Right. And that's what we're going to talk about today, special education. And I know people use different terms, so I will be sensitive to that because we want to be respectful of all learners. But that in itself is a lot of different layers. And I guess you can talk from the perspective of it looking like in a charter school and now in a public school. Um, and we for both have served in underserved communities. So that is a whole nother beast in itself. And so I guess we can start with the first layer, like what is special education? And then breaking it down to even smaller, like as a millennial, like we like, oh, you just don't know how to behave. Or is it like, you might need a plan or is it defiance or is it like, oh, this is clinical. So that's a lot of layers, but we can just peel it all the way back to boom. What is special education? Um, So really, like when you think about special education, think about it as like a team effort. So that's kind of how we're learning about it, like in our studies. So it's a team of people who are coming together, whether that be like a speech pathologist, whether that be like a behavior specialist, um, uh the coordinator for special education, whoever that the, the general ed teacher, we're all a part of this, is coming together to try to figure out how can we best support this student in their learning environment, whatever their learning need is. Um, there are so many different learning disabilities. I think the most, the one that most people are most familiar with is probably autism mm -hmm. um, or dyslexia, which is a really popular one. Um, but there are so many, some of them you can see like you'll see on people, you can see physically they have some kind of disability. And there are other ones that you will never know that mm -hmm. only that person and their family um, are aware of. Um, and so I think when you're going into it, whether you're like the general ed teacher, 
um, because nowadays most of the general ed teachers are the inclusion class or whatever, however that may look where you're teaching. Um, you kind of have to go into it knowing that like there's a team of people that are going to be here helping you kind of get this student where they need to go and kind of figure out like what's best for them and their family. Right. So one is a team helping get this student to where they need to be. But two, it comes down to like now is it labeled? And so I guess that's a sensitive word too, because we don't want to label children, but we also have to be realistic and get them their needs. So how do you present the signs? Because I know you said like you have to see it first. Like what are some common signs and how do you present it to families? Because as a parent in the near, not near future, I'm not with child, but as somebody who wants children in the future, I'm like sensitive to like, I don't know how I would receive that as a person who do who does want kids in the future. But then in my teacher brain right now, it's just like, I've dealt with it. I'm dealing with it. And sometimes those meetings can be so somber and it, it, it can go both ways. He's like, all right, let's get on board. Or it's just like, no, that's not my child. So what are the signs and how do you present it? Because during those meetings, I try to stay quiet. I'm like, let the coordinator do it. Yes. So there are a lot of different like layers or like pieces here. Um, I think the first thing is like, if you know, so before I saw second grade, let me go back. I taught early childhood for a long time. So like, obviously we're kids first interaction with school. Most of them, their first interaction with like a like schedule and like set, like all those things that come with school. Um, and so I think like for kids that young, it's kind of hard to really say like, um, do I think they have a learning disability or do I think they need like more, more help or is it just that they've never been to school before? Cause that's always the big thing. It's like, well, maybe they've never been to school before. They don't know structure. They don't have like any type of boundary. Right. But once you're noticing that, like, Hey, okay, we've gone through two or three testing cycles. This student isn't really picking up any information. They're not retaining any information. They're kind of in the same place that they were in. We met them in August and September. Um, my antennas kind of go off at that point, like, okay, maybe I need to have a conversation and bring it up to, um, like my special education teacher or at the previous school that I was at, we had an RTI teacher, which responds to intervention, which that's, um, an area of also of like the special education realm or like kind of like all inclusion of that to kind of help kids who are seemingly behind their peers and you're giving them kind of like a smaller group setting, um, of instruction and then if through that um, six weeks of instruction, if they're not able to show any type of progression or growth, then you say, hey, maybe we need to go next steps, which is like going into the IEP process. Mm -hmm. So contacting someone of that and just being like, hey, I noticed that, um, you know, from the first testing cycle to now, so-and-so hasn't like made a lot of progress. Like, what do you think next steps should be? As far as communicating with families, I think it's really important that you from day one, just build like a solid foundation mm -hmm. with your families. You know me, I'm really big on like families, kids and yes. families. Yes. And I think that kind of smooths over like any, because like obviously I'm not a parent either, but mm -hmm. I think like it's a sensitive thing when you're bringing to someone like, hey, I think your child may have a developmental delay, especially yeah. at three or four years old. Your child's right. three or four. They've never been to school before. Exactly. And you're telling this person who's been in their life, who's their mom or dad or whoever, their caregiver, you're saying, hey, I noticed such and such. And it seems a little abnormal, but like, I'm not sure, but we want to just kind of 
get some help and try to follow up and see what's happening. Right. So I think the most important thing is developing a relationship. So when you do have to bring that like information to them, it's not, they're not taking it back or they don't feel like, oh, you're just throwing this on me. It's kind of, okay, we have a built-in relationship and like, you know my child and I trust you and you want what's best for them. Right. Um, Also, I tell families too, is like, I am not a doctor. So I think you need to go and seek your child's pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Ask them like, hey, I noticed this. If they notice something or saying, hey, my child's teacher noticed this at school. Is there any way or do you have someone you can recommend me to to take them and maybe have them tested, you know, on your own? Um, But as far as the school setting goes, like once, you know, we bring it to them and they agree to it, we kind of just like, you know, tell them things that we've noticed, ask them like, what have you noticed? Mm Because at the end of the day, their parents are their first teachers. Like, yes, I'm spending eight hours a day with you, but like your mom, your dad, your grandma, whoever's your primary caregiver, like they're your first teacher. And kind of noticing like, hey, what have you noticed at home? Like, have you noticed that they do X, Y, Z or whatever the case may be? And kind of going from there and developing like, okay, let's see. Let's see if this is just like a, this is their first time in school. They kind of have like, they're not really paying attention or just like, it's a lot of information or is there something deeper that we kind of need to figure out how we can help them? Right. So what do you do for the parents who are just like, nope, not my baby, not my child. And like in your teacher brain, you're like, ma'am, yeah, like we got we got to get something going. But it's like a, a tug and war. It's like, I hear you because you're their parent and nobody wants to know for sure, especially when it's in writing. It's just like, OK, this is a lot to swallow. So nobody wants that to hear that. So what do you do for the parents who are like, nope? not my kid y'all like misread him and then it's sad to say but you watch them matriculate through education and to this day I see some students like you should have been retained like you could have used the extra support but your parents said no and it's just like I'm literally watching you suffer because Mm -hmm. one thing like you said like yeah you're a parent and you know your kid and you love them but also two I'm a teacher and I know my stuff and that doesn't mean we are better than one another. Like, like you said, it's like a team. So it's just like, I, this is my specialty. And because I'm a general ed teacher, but if I notice the signs, I'm going to go to higher up. Like mm-hmm. I know how to reach your needs in a general ed setting. But then if I need extra support, that's how I'm going to pull in the coordinator. So in a parent mind, it's just like so many people are at a round table discussing your kid. So naturally you may get furious. So what do you do when you get backlash? Yeah, so this is actually this is actually happening probably every year that I've been a teacher. Like, <laughs> Get back last. Like, yeah, where you had to bring up like, hey, I think like we want to have your child tested for whatever, whatever. They're like, Mm-mm, no, or or the one where you give them the paperwork because they have to parents have to sign off and say, hey, it's okay to like start these steps, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's to have the meet to even have the meeting. They have to sign and say, I we can have the meeting. Um, so there's always some kind of, not always, but in most cases, there's a lot of like delay of like signing the paperwork is what I've noticed. Is the mm-hmm. big push. It's kind of like the silent pushback is what I call it. Like they take a really long time or they say like, oh, I, I lost the paper or, or misplaced it or something. Or, um, or they say like, oh, I just need more time to think about it. Or they say, I spoke to so-and-so like a family member and they say like, they don't need, they say that they don't need that, or they say that there's nothing wrong with them. And so not, I don't want to say my pushback, but my kind of advocacy there is always like, 
you know, hey, mom or dad, um, you know, as their teacher, you know, these are things that we have seen. And I think it's important too to back up what you've seen with the data. Mm-hmm. Like I know as teachers, mm-hmm. we hate that we have to collect all yeah, this stuff. But it's needed. But at the end of the day, it is what pushes the needle forward to help kids really like get what they need. And so I always say like, hey, we've noticed this, you know, we have the data to back it up. Like we see like where he or she should be. This is where they are. And like, yes, all kids develop at their own rate. Yeah. But we want to, the big thing I always say is like, this is not a forever thing. I think people think that when your child gets in special education, that they are stuck there. And I think it's a gentle reminder to let them know that like, no, they're not stuck there. Like these are steps in place to help them right now. We could look up two, three, four years from now and your child has made so much progress and progression that they don't even need this anymore. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing is getting them the help now because if they're four and you get them the help, right? It's easier for them to progress and to kind of take us to take greater strides. So when they're seven and eight, it's kind of like, oh, hey, you know, you made so many strides, we can kind of cut things back or you don't need it at all. Yeah. Rather than you finding out when they're seven, eight or nine, because then it's like, man, you, you're like years late, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a big difference, but as teachers, we know it is a huge gap right. to try to make up for kids when you don't catch it early. That's why early intervention is so important. So whether that's early stages and you're taking your child again on your own, or you're going through your pediatrician, whatever the earliest stage for you is, I highly suggest that parents do it. And that's my big push is always like, the earlier, the better, like I'm here to help your child. So the earlier, the better that we can do that, the better off they will be. Um, And also just reassure them that like, you are a part of this process as well. You are your child's first teacher. So at any moment in this process, you don't agree with something or something sounds off or you're like, I don't think that would be best for them. This is the point in which you advocate and say, no, yeah. you are, do not have to sit and be in agreement with anything that we sit in here and say, you are welcome to say, no, nope, I don't agree with that. I think something else would be better, but our case may be. And I actually learned that in my um, learned disabilities class, which I want to shout out my professor, Dr. Alita Anderson. I learned so much from her and my professor, Dr. Jackson Rogers. I learned so much from them in a year of studies than I have ever learned in a training that my school sent me to. Wow. Like, or, or any of those like PDs they give you like yeah. in a, in a semester time, I have learned so much about how to really ensure that parents are being advocates and ensure that you as a teacher are being an advocate for students, yeah. making sure that their needs are being met. Right. Because literally just last week I was in a meeting and um, my teacher partner was like, no, to the special ed coordinators. They, she was like, no, like we know him. Like, and this is no shade to to special ed coordinators like you guys are just doing what you think is best but as his their teacher if a uh, children with a disability is in our room we grow to love them and they learn just like the rest of the group with you know um extra support but when you come to a table and then you tell me after I've been with this child every day, Monday through Friday, and you just pull something that I know is not going to work for them, I'm going to tell you no. So I love how you said like parents, if that don't sit well with you, it's okay to say no, what else? And I think that's the biggest part, like scratch that, what else you got? Like it's okay. And as teachers too. Yeah. And I think like a lot of times this is again, no knock to coordinators like you said but I think oftentimes with a lot of people who are like coordinators or like people who like aren't working as close with the child as much as like the general ed teacher or like 
if they have speech, the speech pathologist, because obviously those are people who are pulling them out a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But like the other people who don't really work with them a lot, I think they often are just like doing the paperwork portion. They're like, they're trying to check off the boxes, which is unfortunate, Um, which is not the case all the time, but it has been my case. I have noticed that they are trying to check off boxes. And it's like, this kid is not a box. This kid, you know, is a person and they have a future and we have to ensure that like beyond where they are right now, that they are secure and that they feel successful in their best self. Like even with their learning disability, there's so much that they can still do and you want them to feel like they can accomplish so much. Um, And you want their family to feel like these people in this room have not only my best interests, that they have my child's best interest and that we're all working pretty much for the same goal. Mm-hmm. And I like want to rewind to what you said, like catching it early, like any little sign that you see that you can nip in the butt, do that. Because like you said, like this may not be a forever thing. And so the earlier, the better. I love how you said that. And in my teacher brain, I can humbly say, I do need the help, but also I get so frustrated with coordinators because I'm like, all you doing is paperwork. Like, and I say it with sass in my voice because you telling me to do X, Y, and Z because legally you have to do it. And I get it. I do, but I am not trained in my brain in my future brain. I'm like, you know, everything, because this is what you specialize in. I know a general ed setting. So how can we make the two mesh? But then it's just like, you're just telling me stuff, like you said, to check off the box. And I don't like that. But granted, my situation now, all of my coordinators and everybody invested, they have the child's best interest at heart, but it has not always been like that. And so I just get frustrated. And then I'm thinking like, if I wasn't a teacher and I'm just a parent sitting at the table, everybody on their computer, everybody click clacking away. And then it's just like, it becomes more of documents than a process. And so it's just like parents get involved. Like they, it's sad to say, but they're going to send you a sheet and you're going to, you're going to sign it, but it's up to you to then research. How am I going to do this at home? How's the teacher going to do it? Because at the end of the day, a lot of general ed teachers are not certified and we learn as we go. And is that always the best interest at heart? No, but we're forced. And I think that becomes a problem too. Like having, an inclusive classroom may not always be the best answer. Yeah. So I actually had a colleague of mine earlier this year, the school year, and um, she was kind of given the inclusion classroom. We're all, we are technically inclusion teachers, but mm-hmm. obviously some of us have more inclusion than others. And we know this. So she was given the inclusion classroom for pre-K three. And um, she noticed very early on that a lot of, the disabilities in her classroom like some of the kids obviously went through like early stages or something so they already had like their disability their IEP and everything was already on file but then she knows that there were an influx of other kids who like were not on file and she you know went to leadership and was like hey like I'm noticing that like there's more kids in this classroom with needs and there's only two teachers there are no dedicated aides at that time we only had one special education teacher and you know, she was like, I really need like help. And so their pushback to her was that like, she needed to like find the, like she needed to go out and like research and do the stuff. Yeah. And you know, it's unfortunate because everyone is not in the case, like where I am, where I'm able to like 
go back to school and like do this. Everyone just doesn't have the time or they don't want to. Like so honestly, mm-hmm. people don't want to go back to school and that's totally fine. I think in that respect, like I, I wish that schools would offer something where, hey, we want you to be the inclusion classroom or the inclusion teacher. Like we know you're going to have an influx of kids with disabilities. We know you're not trained for that. We're going to send you to a training. Mm-hmm. We're going to pay for it. We're going to make sure that you like get all the things you need to get. Because I think the biggest thing, especially when you're working in an underserved community, which is like the communities that we have worked in majority of our um, educational career, is that the schools don't have, one, the schools lack a lot of resources. That's mm-hmm. number one. So you learn to do a lot with a little bit. Right. Number two, with lacking resources, you're usually understaffed, which means you're either starting the year understaffed or throughout the year, you know, people quit. Um, whatever the case may be. So I think that plays a big part because that also takes away, like, you don't, we don't realize it, but when you don't have enough staff, we don't have enough resources, it does start to affect the kids. I mean, that's who it affects the most, not affecting the adults, it's affecting the children. Right. Um, and so like, I just think about like where I am now, the school that I am, and like, I see all the resources and I see like all the people who are like, not, not only in special education, just as a whole, there to help kids like things move a lot faster and like if I bring up a concern like it's already to the person it needs to be to they're already reaching back out to me like by end of day whereas like when you're in a, a school where it's an underserved community it's a school where there's not a lot of resources and things like that it usually takes weeks sometimes for you to like hear back to somebody like months I could reach out about a kid yeah months I could reach out about a kid and say Hey, I, in September, October, hey, I know this XYZ. I want to get on you guys' radar. Anybody can come like see them. You may not get anybody in your classroom for like another two, three weeks from that email. And yeah. you're just waiting. Like, hey, following up. Hey, I reached out. I'm going to follow up. And you know, and you don't want to like nag or be annoying, but it's also like, I need someone to come because like this is not getting any better. And right. like you said, a lot of teachers aren't trained. Like, even though I'm in graduate school even I was struggling as, as mm-hmm. with some things like I don't have all of the things like I was going to my professors and being like hey can you help like right what's best here you know they have so much experience but I think the biggest thing and why a lot of teachers are like so frustrated one is because like post I guess pandemic like we've noticed that the kids are seeing a little different than like the pre-pandemic oh, yeah. kids especially with like behavior um, I think a lot of that just has like social interaction. Like yeah. you were in the house for, I don't know, a year and like some right. change. So you weren't really talking to anyone besides your family members you were in the house with. Um, but the other part is that it's just like, we're trying to navigate what school looks like post pandemic. Yeah. Two years later. Like, yeah. Years we're later. still trying to navigate like what that looks like and like how to best support kids and like schools, I feel like are trying to get back to like the regular schedule program that we had pre pandemic. But in my opinion, life will never be what it was. Oh. Especially not school. School will never right. be the same. Especially I, I not kids. Yeah, no. Some children's first interaction at school was teachers and uh, got a bubble bubble wraps like with with mask and, pe- and plexiglass. You know how traumatizing that is. Yeah, or like the school I'm at now, the kids that I have in second grade, their first like. I guess real like school rigor was on the computer. They did kindergarten virtually. Exactly. So, a lot of the things, and that gets brought up a lot. They're like a lot of the things they're missing, like socially, like social emotionally, it's because they did, you know, their first like couple years yeah. were on the computer. Yeah. They don't have and, like right. They don't know what 
school is like. And honestly, we all are literally rewriting it as we go, especially millennials. Like, it's like kind of like, what what are we doing here? And <laughs> and I think that's why a lot of teachers are quitting. And it's so sad because either you're a generated teacher and you're just trying to figure out how to teach, period, or you get an inclusive room. And then it's just like, well, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. And then for like the kids, it's like, I don't even know how to be social. You may not have a learning disability. You may not even have a behavior problem. You may just need to know how to talk, how to communicate. And that's why I was going to ask you, like, this is when it becomes too clinical or behavioral or socially emotional. Like there's so many layers. And so if we can just even take off the whole, the science and the degree off of it, our culture posts everything and people are so insensitive to the work that we do. And like just went viral, like a kid beating a teacher unconscious or a kid just being defiant and sadly bringing weapons to school. Like there's so many different reasons. And people in the comments are so ignorant to our profession. They're like, well, the teacher knows what they signed up for or, um, well, oh, it was sad. Like maybe he needs some help. And it could be, I don't, I don't even, I want to watch my words, but it's just like, it all still doesn't make sense because if you never sat in this seat, you don't know, like you cannot relate to our struggle, whether it is behavior or clinical. And so like, it's hard for us as a society to even get on board because one, you, a lot of people don't respect education and two, y'all are like, well, that's what the teacher get. Or like in our brains, it's just like this teacher needed help. Like this child obviously either is really needs social emotional skills, behavioral, or there's something going wrong. But still, at the end of the day, either like you said, it's not, it's either resources or it could be behavioral, it could be clinical. Like there's so many layers, and so us trying to fight the good fight is just like where do we go? Even if it, the world is against us too, like the internet is brutal and people share their thoughts and it makes me sometimes just feel this small like I'm literally teaching children how to read and write but you're saying that's what I get if I get kicked in the face and unconscious that's sick yeah it's crazy yeah I feel like every month or every like really at this point every couple weeks I'm like reading a new story about like a teacher and some some place and something happened and I immediately feel like man I know that teacher like has tried her best or his best and other people are going to say like well how do you know that Cause I know how hard this work is. Like, yeah. I don't think anyone, like, I'm not gonna say people are, you know, there are some people who are in this profession and they're not in it for the right reasons. Right. That's, that's, right. In, that's in any profession. Yeah. And there are but, some people who care in the world. Yeah. But there are a large majority of people, especially teachers who are just doing the best they can right now. Um, and I'm trying I think to that, float. Yeah. That just goes back to like, we're trying to navigate like what school looks like and how to best support kids in this post pandemic world. And I think people really have to be really like give, I, I say give grace because like, yes, we're teachers and like, yes, you guys consider us like super, like, I don't know, super people. Or something. I don't wear that like, hat. That's um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of hats that we wear and there's a lot of mm-hmm. things that we can do, but like, we're still human. Right. And I know like we talked about this, but the case with a young man, I think he was like a high schooler who he had, I think he was diagnosed like autism and he like knocked his teacher out because she took his, I think it was like Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I immediately felt like there were people who were like, oh, like, you know, she shouldn't have taken his toy. Like she knew what that would do to him. And my immediate brain was like, yes and no. Like, yes, she probably didn't know. She probably didn't know that was say him off because like, you have to also consider that like a lot of teachers who are in these roles of like being dedicated aides or being like teacher assistants or being paraprofessional or even classroom teachers are not trained yeah. to deal with all the different layers of like disabilities or behavior. Right. I've heard so many horror stories just this school year of people, of teachers who are just like, the behaviors are off the charts. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. Like, this is the, right. I myself had horror stories. Like, this is the first time where I'm just like, nothing is working. Like, why isn't these But I'm not trying to cut you off, but I'm sorry. But when does the accountability come into peace? Like, okay, this, all of this may be true. The teacher may not know this could trigger a child, but we are at school. You shouldn't even have the game to deal, to start. That's number one. Like, why does all the accountability get placed on us? Yeah, I think it's because people look at it like, well, this kid is in your possession for Mm -hmm. eight hours. But I think it goes back to also like, I think when I heard that he, I think the thing in the story was like, he, when the police came, he like was saying something about the game. He wasn't even like recognizing that he had like knocked this lady out. Yeah. I think in that instance, that's when I started to say, okay, his disability is bigger than the school he's at. Like in a lot of cases, a lot of kids with disabilities, like as much as we want them to be like in a school where there's other kids, you know, in the inclusion of like other kids, sometimes it's best if you notice like, hey, my kid is showing these super signs of aggression. Um, you know, it seems like the school's always calling me to like come pick them up. I see parents saying that a lot too. Come pick them up. They can't handle them and all these things. And it's like, is it the school's fault that they can't handle them? Not necessarily. Because it goes no. back to the school might be understaffed. They yeah. just might not have the staffing to help your child. Now, is the school wrong for not advocating to you and saying, hey, we're understaffed. We don't have the staffing to support your kid here. Yes, they are. I think you have to be totally transparent with families and say, hey, we don't have the means to best support your child here and they're learning and what they need. We want to refer you to a school that is best for them. Mm -hmm. We want to refer you to somewhere that could deal with that. It's able to deal with their need in every realm of whatever that is. Whether it's a school where like all the kids are are there have you know their disability like a school like for autism yeah. right or like here in dc we have um a school called lab where a lot of the kids there they have dyslexia or they have like other disabilities right they still are in like a a, a general like edu- education like you know setting it's a smaller setting but all the teachers there are clinical they all have they have some sort of degree with special education everybody there yeah. everybody there is degree and 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 certified so you know that your kid is getting the best, right? Yeah. Like, you know that your kid is like getting their needs met. I think a lot of times in the public school sector, it's kind of hard. And it's not to like take the, I guess, accountability away from my like public schools, but it's harder because they're just right now so understaffed. Yeah. Um, and that's what's and, driving us out too. Yeah, it's, it is. It's pushing people out the door, you know, yeah. like you want to do what's best for kids. But I think part of it is like school, again, schools have to be transparent. Leaders- principals vice principals whoever needs to be transparent and saying like um you know coordinators and saying like we don't have the resources here yeah you know and I saw this up front I've seen this before where you know you they know they don't have the resources and they're just kind of giving families a run around like oh well 
we're going to do this or they're going to they're going to be with this person. It's like they don't have a dedicated aid. They're not going to have a dedicated aid for months. There's you don't there's no you don't even have you're not even you can't even get anyone to come. There's so many kids on the caseload that need dedicated aids. Like you it's no way. The priority list is like crazy. And instead of you just telling that family, hey, we're not able to meet that child's needs here. We know that you guys deserve better. We're going to refer you to a school that can do that. Right. A lot of times it's, schools want the money that comes with having that child. So they say, hey, we'll figure, out, we'll figure it out. It's always we'll figure it out. And they never figure it out. And then June comes and the child hasn't made any progress. Yeah. Or they haven't even gotten their like IEP through or like none of the things that they need yeah. because school just wasn't transparent and saying like, right. we don't have the resources here. And a lot of schools, I feel like they pride themselves on, oh, we can take all learners. We don't turn anybody down. And at the end of the day, you are doing this children, your teachers, a disservice. Granted, sometimes it ends up and it works out, but that's not always the case, especially when it becomes clinical and not behavioral. And again, like this is so many layers and this is just part one of, you know, this episode like just dealing with all learners but in these last five minutes what do you want people to leave with because you know part two we can just get into like the depth of like okay we talked about the clinical piece we talked about the paperwork we talked about you know parents being involved and you know how society is just like everything is just like stabbing at teachers and that can go all day but for the sake of time and just like for teachers who are going in tomorrow morning, they are an inclusive room. It may be working for their best interest and the child, and it may not. And we got, what, two more months left of school? And parents may or may not be involved. Like, what do you want them to leave knowing? Um, I think, again, it goes back, give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more grace that you can give yourself, the better off you'll kind of be to finish out the year. I know it's stressful because I've been there. And I know that it can become like very, it becomes like a weight almost on you because you're watching this kid every day Mm -hmm. and you're noticing that like, hey, they're not retaining this information. Their behavior has is getting out of control. It's impeding their learning. Like then it's impeding the other kids being able to learn, right? All of those things. Mm -hmm. But I think giving yourself the grace to be like, you know what? Like we're going to figure this out. And also like, I think also taking, I think forcing, forcing the people that you are working with, like the other people that are working on the team, whoever that coordinator, education teacher, all those people, forcing them to be like, there is a problem, we need to fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, And like forcing their hand to be like, I need help. I think a lot of times teachers, because we do, we are deemed as like superhuman, that we often are scared or... We feel embarrassed kind of mm-hmm. when we have to ask for help. But what I've learned in like the eight years of being a teacher, is like, there's nothing wrong with, you know, lending, putting your hand out and asking for help that you need help to be able to help, you know, your students get to where they need to be and to be able to advocate for families. On the other hand of that, I think, although, you know, teachers obviously have like the, the biggest to do because they're with them every day. I think like if families, any families that come across us and see this, is knowing that like, again, you are your child's first teacher. You're your yeah. child's biggest advocate. No matter what happens, your child's always gonna remember that you advocated for them. And so I think like, if you notice anything or if you feel like, hey, my, my child's school is not doing what they said they're gonna do. 
they have not moved the needle at all to help my kid. We're kind of stagnant in the same place. It's pushing them and having some pushback and saying like, I need answers. I need answers now to figure out what is going on. If I cannot get those answers, I have to take my child somewhere else. And mm-hmm. I think being very like transparent about that and saying like, you all are not able to fulfill the need that my child has here. And that's okay. There's no love lost. I am going to take them somewhere that can accommodate and meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just, it just, everybody just has to kind of have an eye of transparency about that and just keeping at the forefront that like the kid is the most important. So at the end of the day, this child might be four, five, seven, whatever case may be, but they have to grow up. They have to become a a breathing, walking adult. And we want them to grow and to be their best selves and to know that there will always people advocating for them. My biggest thing is I never want kids to hate school. Mm -hmm. As a kid, I love school. I love everything about school. And I want other kids to have the same experience. I think today's kids is so hard because there's so many things. Like we had school shootings and things like that back then. Not as many, but we had those things. But I think now it is so many other like layers that it's it's like, we don't think it's burdening kids, but it is. And so I always want kids to feel like safe and secure at school. And to feel like they want to be there and to want to learn. They love learning. And I think the first part and the most important part of that is letting them know that you are advocating for them and that you want them to be their best, most successful self. Boom, drops mic. That was beautiful. And I just want to end by saying like, you know, like we do have our moments of frustration, but just know that your child teachers love them regardless. And there is no label, there's love and there's learning. Point blank, period.